0: God raises up a judge to deliver them and Israel goes back to serving the Lord and Samuel actually is one of the last judges and the first priest and so Samuel he's in this time of this cyclic cyclic event of being on fire for God and being so cold to God and absence of God and uh, hold you know like I said, sometimes these uh, judged periods are uh, less than a decade, but other times they were like 30 and 40, 50 years. And so what that means is this: there was actually generations of Israelis that had never experienced the power of God, and the presence of God, the glory of God. Had departed. Spiritual leadership was very weak. Hophni and Phineas were the sons of the high priest Eli, and they would, when they brought their sacrifices in, the priests were allowed to take a portion of that to live upon. But the but but specifically certain portions were to be given to the Lord. sacrifices but they took what they wanted to they just they just did what they wanted to and more than that Hophni and Phinehas would stand outside the the uh, tabernacle the temple's not built yet and they and they were the bible says that they were laying with the women they were committing fornication and adultery there outside the tabernacle And it goes on and says that Eli knew about it, but he restrained him not. The spiritual leadership in Israel is in sad shape. And the nation's in sad shape. And what happened is that their their enemy constantly came and fought against them. The Philistines came and did battle against them, and they were losing. Obviously, God was not showing his power and his care for them. They're losing to the Philistines. And you know, uh, I can't go on a lot of history here, but you know that in the tabernacle, one of the major points of furniture in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant over which the the, the angels were laid of gold. Sacrifices were made there. And uh, and so the generals of the Israeli army said, let's do this. Let's go into the tabernacle. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring it out. And the Philistines will see it. And the Philistines will be terrified because now God is with us. God is in our presence. We have the Ark with us. And, uh, and at first... Uh, the Philistines were kind of backing up. But then they, they engaged in battle and they stole the Ark of the Covenant which was to represent God and they took it and put it in their own temple with Dagon, the feast god. And that's another story. But this woman in giving childbirth and dying said, the glory of God has departed the tabernacle representing God's glory, just a piece of furniture. And uh, we find that things are deployable. There are times where the nation of Israel, of course, was not where it needs to be But there are times when a church is not where it needs to be. And there are times when a church can go through the same old, same old for decades. Not knowing that it could be different. Accepting the norm. God wants us to be more than conquerors. That's what was happening in the church there in Revelation. God's on the outside. There was a dryness in the religion. And there was an absence of the presence of God and there's an absence of the sense that God is with us. And may it not be that that kind of thinking and that normal activity that we think should be in Placaro Baptist Church not be at all where God would have us to be. May it not be thought normal that for over 20 years there's only been one or two conversions a year in a church. May it not be thought normal that people will come and listen to the word of God time after time and yet remain unsaved and seemingly not under conviction. May it not be thought normal that homes never have victory. May it not be thought normal that a church can go year after year after year after year and no one ever surrender to the ministry. That's not the normal Baptist life. That's not the normal church life. That we're not to settle for the norm. What I'm saying is, I simply want to say that I desire that our church would see true revival. To preserve, or to make alive the re- word revival means. That we might be a church that is alive, not in a Pentecostal way, but that. God moves in our presence that we come and hear and worship and we leave changed people. People that have been touched by the word of God. That we might see people saved by the hundreds. That we might reach out farther than ever before. That when God says go into all the earth seeking those who So God's going throughout all the earth seeking those who are uh, tender towards him that he could show himself strong that he would stop here. And what I'm saying is that I want and I want for you that God would break my heart to the point that revival could start God is a God of revival, and the principles of revival are the same. The general principles are the same, and you find that in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we find very clearly the requirements for you and I to be revived. Let's note those. Chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. And the men of kyrgyzath Jerem came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of the Benadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And so this ark that the Philistines had stolen makes its way back in a very peculiar way and you can read about that. Uh, makes its way back to Israel, and they leave it in the house. Not brought it back to the, not brought it back to Jerusalem yet. And uh, and it came to, and, and this time period is about twenty years. You can see there. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kurjat Jerem, that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. For 20 years, the symbol of the presence of God, for 20 years, actually, the presence of God, the glory of God in Israel was absent. And so you could be born in the beginning of that, and after 20 years, you're 20 years old, and you've never experienced the glory of God. Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, Here is the formula. If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did that. The children of Israel did put away Balaam, and Astaroth, and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you and to the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. That's a symbol of repentance. As you pour water on the ground, you're giving it all. Revival. Return to the Lord, verse 3. Serve the Lord with all your hearts separate from the gods repent pour your heart out put away the false gods and they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there we have sinned against the Lord and Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah and when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together in Mizpah the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder, on the day before the Philistines and discomforted them, and they were smitten before Israel. God is here. God is alive. God still cares for us. And God's going to fight for us. That's what Samuel's telling them. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Beth car And Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah. And Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. The God helped us. The God enabled us. And so we find them separating from the world, put away the strange gods and asteroids from among you. If you go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll see that God also calls for you and I. To separate from this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So watch out who you hang with. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord or agreement or fellowship or dealings hath Christ with Belial Satan? Or what part hath he that believeth in it? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, that is, that the Spirit of God lives within his people. As God had said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And then know what it says here. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." He's not saying in doing this that we be become a child of God, he becomes a father. But he says in doing this, I can, I can act like a father to you, that I can bless you, that no father is going to bless his children when they're living in rebellion. And he saying if we'll, if we'll separate ourselves as a church and as an individual, I'll be a father unto you. I will, I will, I will favor you. We we're to live a separated world. In First John it says, Love not the world, nor the things of the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we're to separate from the world. Years ago as a little boy I learned this song that, that still applies to my life today. It says, Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in tender love. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. And then it went through all of the body parts. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little hands, what you do. There's a Father up above looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. When we find ourselves in the need of revival, not only do we need to separate, but we need to commit ourselves to the Lord. And it says there in chapter 7 and verse 3 of 1 Samuel, prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever we do, or to do all to the glory of God, prepare your hearts unto the Lord only. We ought to sing from our hearts. We ought to teach with our hearts in it. We ought to pray with our hearts in it. We ought to serve with our hearts in it. And whatsoever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord. I personally sense that, that both in and, of course, out of the church, both among the saved and those that are lost, there's an emptiness in the soul. Normal for the lost person, but that's not normal. What do I mean by emptiness? There's no fellowship with God. There's no life with God. Oh, we function And we exist from day to day, but oftentimes, even as his children, we we exist as empty shells. I sense in my heart sometimes an apathy and a sluggishness in my life. I greatly admire Vitaly Shackgun if I'm pronouncing that right, Vitaly Shakin, battalion engineer for the Ukrainian army who gave his life for his country on February 25th. Russia was invading and still is there in Ukraine. Russian tanks were coming out of Crimea, moving across the river to enter into Ukraine. And Vitaly went out to mine the bridge to stop the advance. And after realizing that he didn't have enough time to retreat before the explosion, he willingly gave his life for his country. We might surmise that the planning could have been better, or something different should have happened. But we cannot question the fact that Vitaly lived for something greater than himself. I would submit to you that Vitaly was never more alive than the moment before the bridge exploded. Spiritually, are you alive to live as Christ? To live as Christ! We're not meant to muddle through Christianity. To live as Christ and to die is gain. And as Italy lived for something greater than himself, let me ask you, what are you living for? And I submit to you today that if we're not living for something greater than ourselves, and of course the greatest can be and is the Lord himself, but if we're not living for something greater than ourselves, we are not living! We're just existing. Christianity is meant to be more than that. More than a paycheck. Oh, is there not a greater cause in my puny life? Now, I pray that you understand, and i have wrestled with this and worried about this, but I pray that you understand what I'm trying to say to you. I'm not trying to lay blame at anyone's feet but simply saying that we ought to ask ourselves, do we need revival? I believe it bothers you, and it surely bothers me. The children of the spiritual leadership of Black Road Baptist Church were living in sexual sin. need revival. Hopefully it bothers you and I can tell you it bothers me. The upgrades have been made here in this building. The auditorium, the fellowship hall, the mission quarters, the parsonage, and financially we're well uh but no men have been called to preach for the last 15 years. That's not the normal Christian life. We need a revival. Does it concern you that they've been lost, come to our services and hear the gospel and leave unsaved time after time? Does it concern you that Much literature has went to the villages, and though there's been a few responses, there's been nothing amazing. Do we not have an amazing God? Should we not expect an amazing God to do amazing things? And should we not ask him to do that? And if we don't see that, could we surmise for a moment that There could be a need of revival amongst us. Do you surmise at all that that's true? Revival where sin becomes exceedingly sinful, one of the clearest signs of revival is a hatred for sin revival that drives us to our knees to pray to the lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest revival where god's word has free course revival that makes you and i long for holiness over happiness let me say that again revival that makes our hearts long for holiness not simply happiness are you living for anything greater than yourself Samuel back there again with me in 1st Samuel 7 Samuel laid out he laid out the diagram for revival and verse 3 of chapter 7 And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, turn back to God. Go back to where you were originally. Go back to where you drifted from. Listen, God has not moved. But we have. At least I have. With all your heart. Then put away the strange God's Separation. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord to serve Him only. Confession and broken heart and contrition. And so they did. And Samuel sacrificed. And you can see one of the one of the indicators of revival is there in verse 4 that immediately when I try to draw nigh to God, and immediately when I try to try to Get back to where I once was in a spiritual way that opposition is going to come. God doesn't, Satan doesn't mess with a lukewarm church. Then the children of Israel put away Balaam and Ashtoreth and served the Lord only, and you're going to see that, and the Philistines heard that in verse 7, and they're gathered together, and and the Philistines' opposition is going to come. They prayed. They poured water out, a sign of repentance. They confessed. So we're talking about the response of the people who return to the Lord and who separate from sin and seek to serve God only. What should be our response to sexual sin in our church if those parties come back and seek forgiveness. Well, I don't have all the answers. But I want you to go to James. I have at least this answer. We're talking about revival. We're talking about our response to that we saw the signs of maybe some things really need to change around here. But what would happen if people came before this church and confessed their sins and asked for forgiveness? Here's what James says. In James chapter 5, he says, Confess your faults. And that word fault is much more than hitting a tennis ball outside the line. That word fault, is also translated trespass and offense and sin. Confess your faults one to another. And the word confess there means to fully speak frankly. And I'm not saying this morning that we're to confess every sin that we have. Some sins are private, but some sins are very public. But he says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for another one for another that ye may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much what it's saying here is that is that when that takes place and we even amongst ourselves share our faults share our sins share the need for prayer and come before the church and say i've i've done this and i've sinned against god and and i brought a shame upon my church's name but pray for me but what i see here is this is it we have a role in revival. We have a role in restoration. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. And the effectual, the energy, energized that word means, the, the, the prayer that's more than God bless our missionaries, but the prayer that gets a hold of the throne of God. Listen, Israel was in a terrible state. Fornication in the temple. Ruining the worship services. The glory of God departed. And a church can be in a place, and I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying that if, we're, if this church was any more alive Is today. We need revived. And part of the revival process is going to be dealing with sins, confession that they may be healed. Fervent, availeth much that our prayers, God says, part of this revival experience. It's to be open with each other, to quit being churchy, to be real. And ask God to be real. Ask God to do only what he can do. We all hate churchy, but many times we're right in the middle of it. I got the right tie on today. I come at the right time. I did the right things. I gave the right amount of money. Being churchy. What should be our response to the anemic sending capacity? It's been fifteen years since. Uh, a man is surrendered. And Jesus said, but when he saw the multitude, he moved with compassion on them, and he, and because they fainted they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith an the disciple, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. You see. Uh, with our seating capacity. And he's not really concerned with how much all this property is worth. But he is concerned with our sending capacity. And his last words to us was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Again, let me me ask you, are you living for anything greater than yourself? And you reply, of course, Pastor, I'm here. You're not preaching to the choir. I'm supporting the church. I'm giving to missions. I'm singing in the choir. And all that's good. But let me follow Up with a simple question why are you doing what you're doing and and uh, how are you living and I've made a little (laughs) this is to keep you awake but oftentimes but oftentimes we function as a pie graph you can't read it back there but you know certain amount of time for family and a certain amount of time for church and other activities, and a certain amount of time for miscellaneous. And as long as I as long as I got all this in order, and and I got church in here and religious activity, then I'm good to go. But that's not the way it works. That's the way we want to work it, but that's not the way it works. Because you see, superimposed over all of this is that Jesus is Lord of all. And if if you want to spend 24 hours in church and you're in the Lord's will, that's what you need to do. If you want to spend extra time with your family because you know the Lord is telling you, that's what you need to do. We need to do what God wants us to do. Revival comes from the fact that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I want to say, Lord, what would you have me to do what do you want me to do? That you have the right, you've bought me with a price and I'm not my own. Therefore, I need to glorify God in my body and in my spirit, which is God's. What should be our response for the lack of souls being saved? Well, uh, we need to keep sowing the seed for sure. And we need to pray the Lord of the harvest, that He would send forth labors into the harvest. And then we find in 1 Samuel a great victory is won. And they won the battle. He put up a stone there. And He said there in that stone, into the people, hitherto, it's called Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. May we have our Ebenezer stones. May there be time when we understand that only God could do that. Only God could send an Anilchek fisherman to the mission field of the Arab people. Only God can save his soul. Imagine with me a man in Israel. As a young boy of 10 years old, he sees and hears that 30,000 Israeli soldiers had died in battle, and that out of the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the furniture that represented God, and the glory of God has been stolen. And for the next 20 years, He's dominated by the Philistine army being in control of their nation. They'd they'd grow a crop and the Philistine army would come down and take the crop after it was harvested. For 20 years, he's been in bondage. Who is this God? What are you talking about? For 20 years, I've not seen him. And it was normal to live under severe taxation of the heavy hand of the Philistines. But those 20 years come to an end when Samuel tells them, return to the Lord and separate from sin and serve God only. And imagine now, after that great victory, it's 10 years later, He's 30 years old, and while walking with his son, he passes the Ebenezer stone. What is that, Dad? And the father explains, many years ago as a youth, Israel lived in great sin and idol worship. We were poor. We were ruled over by the enemy Philistines, but God used Samuel's preaching to turn us back to himself. We as a nation turned from our idols Back to God, we confessed our sins, we gave our lives to serve only Jehovah. And the Philistines came, and God fought for us, and he'll fight for you. And hitherto, hath the Lord helped us. May there be a day as you older men as I am and women sit down and speak to your children and say son see there that family who comes all the time and that man there and that couple there is such a blessing it was not always so in our church there was a time of little growth a time of financial struggle, a time of leanness to the soul, a time when God's people were just going through the same old, same old. But we realized it. And we realized that there's something wrong when sin is not exceedingly sinful. Realized there's something wrong when God's not calling men to the ministry. And we got on our face before God. And suddenly so that family there, there was a terrible state, but they were saved. Drunks were saved. Our church grew in number and spirit. And God did it for us. Do you surmise this morning? if that's a good word, that we are in need of revival. Revival where sin becomes exceedingly sinful. Revival that drives us to our knees to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. More than just attendance on Sunday. More than just coming and going. More than just just giving of your finances but realizing that God still is in the business of calling men. God still wants his gospel to go to the world. God still wants to stir the hearts of people. God still wants to see people bow in their pew or come forward in a church service and pour their heart out to God. But God still wants people to come into this place needy and, and wanting guidance and wanting to be blessed and leaving with their hearts full of God, and not coming in and going out at the same, that the presence of God over his church, that we ought to desire that. Do we surmise at all that God's word needs to have free course, and we can pray for that? Do we long at all for our church to be holy and not just happy? Have you ever experienced a closer walk with God? If you're here and you're lost, you can't be revived because you've never been born again spiritually. Spiritually if you'll do business with God, he'll surely do business with you. And so what am, I, what am I really asking for as I try to bring this to an end? Well, I'm asking what Samuel said, that you'd return unto the Lord, you'd put away all the stands between you and God, that you'd serve him. Would you consider the horrible possibility of confessing your faults to some other church member and asking them to pray for you? Would you ask yourself, am I living for something greater than myself? Would you dare pray for laborers to be called to go to the harvest And say in that prayer, Lord, here am I, whatever you want to do. It gets back to um, this right here. Does he have the right to call you? Is he Lord? Would you fervently pray and see that prayer avails much are you needing to ask God to save your soul I wish I could stir you but I'm thankful that God can all I'm asking this morning is you to be honest and I'm wondering today if our church spiritually has been in a stronger place than it is today and I'm asking you if it's in a pretty good place today could it be stronger and I'm asking you To ask God, what do you want? I know what I want, but what do you want? I want to uh, personally walk closer to the Lord. And I want personally have a greater hatred for sin do we need revival and if so in this next five minutes will you we're not going to have the piano player come for five minutes or so But would you make your way to this pulpit? Or would you bow there and kneel in your pew? Or if you can't kneel, just set where you are. And would you fervently ask God to work revival? Anybody can rust out, but the greater show is in burning out. Will you bow your head with me? Will you do business with God?